0: Mike from the bank came over to Grady and I and said, Well, look what we've got here. Two homestead boys out on the town. Joe, isn't it? Do you remember me? You look pretty hot. He could look all he wanted and there was no way I would go out with him. I sure do remember you. I was just telling Grady what an asshole you were to me when I had my paper out. Mike and Grady both laughed. Lee came up beside me and whispered to me that he had tricked with Mike. And Mike said, yeah, I remember. You were cute then too. I was just doing my job. Lee and Mike acknowledged each other with a wink but no conversation. My 10th grade algebra teacher used to say, flattery will get you everywhere. It wouldn't work for Mike. Not on me. Never. My heart sank. Felt like someone had thrown a five-gallon bucket of ice water over me. John was standing in the corner nursing a beer. He looked over our direction, then tipped his beer toward us, and I nodded. I felt like everyone could see my pain. Love had found me, embraced me, and then dropped me. Love was in the corner drinking beer. Mike said, Hey, why don't you call me sometime? Maybe we could go see a movie. I'll make it up to you for being an asshole four years ago. He then punched me on the shoulder like we were football buddies, and had just landed a touchdown. I thought, No way. And I said, Yeah, I'll do that. Mike darted over straight to John and they began talking. He went in for a big hug and then pointed over towards Grady and me. I figured my name was part of their conversation. I already had decided I would not waste my time hoping John would awaken and want me. He was adorable, looked like he had been to the beach. What were the chances that I'd meet a guy in Boca Raton and everyone in Miami knew him? Slut. Lee arrived with beers for all of us. We headed back outside to sit on one of the picnic tables. Guys were just having a great time. Talking, laughing. Some hooking up and heading down the stairs. Lee put his arm around me and pulled me close in. I liked that we could be free to show affection. A safe place. I didn't see any emergency lights. Life had definitely improved for me. I liked all the guys. They liked me. I never knew this kind of world existed. My world was changing. Rapidly. We beat it out of the place about midnight. Lee said, We're going over to La Coretta for a midnight snack. You're going to love it, Joe. So we walked down 8th Street down to the Cuban restaurant, packed with gay guys. Gay guys from the bar. The four of us sat in a booth. We talked about all the hot guys we had seen. I also learned some new words. Butch and film. I liked butch, like a fireman or a policeman. Lee began to talk about all the guys he had had sex with. It wasn't very becoming. Lee was a nice guy, hot. He didn't need to boast of his conquest. I never did that with girls when guides would ask, Did you get some? We finally headed back to their apartment. Paul put the top down on his Le Mans convertible. It was bright blue with white leather interior. He got a new car every year. He had a trust fund. He never had to work. Lee filled on Paul. His grandparents were some of the first pioneers to Miami in the early 1900s. Owned a shitload of property. They owned two-thirds of Key Biscayne at the time and had a large estate in Coconut Grove. The only wealthy people I had been around before were our neighbors, Charlie and Mary Ann. They were awesome people. They had modern homes, an airstrip for their planes, swimming pools, tennis courts, Cadillacs, and go-karts. I spent a lot of time with their two boys. The mother would drive us to a movie theater in town in her new Cadillac and be singing, Pennies from Heaven. We arrived back at the apartment (laughs) and smoked a joint. The three of them talked about the bar and some of the guys they had had. made me feel like I was disposable merchandise. They even shared some of the same guys. Lee said, Hey, we've got to get some rest. We have swim practice tomorrow and you are coming. No way are you getting out of being with us. I said, I'd not miss it for anything. With that, I headed home to Elsa. She would question me in the morning, wanting to hear how the night went. She would be intrigued by Paul and his ancestry. So Elsa had the coffee on and fresh hot sweet cinnamon rolls ready when I came downstairs to the kitchen. She said, I heard you come in last night. It was about one-thirty. I almost got up to ask you how it went with your new friends. She had curlers in her hair and her portable hair dryer on the kitchen table. She turned it off and took the cap off so we could talk. That was the same dryer we used when Tuffy was born prematurely. Tuffy was born prematurely because Elsa ran over the mother dog. Oh, it was really great. You won't believe some of the guys I ran into. One is Mike from the bank. You know his folks. I never would have thought he was gay. I remember when he got caught having sex with Donna down the street. Her father was really pissed. I told Mike last night I thought he was an asshole to me when I had my paper route. She said, his folks might not be too happy with him dating guys. He used to come into Doc's office, but he was always respectful. He would wait his turn just like everyone else. He almost died in a car crash a few years back. A drunk driver T-boned him on US-1 in Cutler Ridge. Doc and I would go to the hospital together, and always one of his parents was there, huddled around the bed waiting for good news. Wow. Well, he's still an asshole. He was nice enough, but not my type. You won't believe who else I met. A guy named Paul. His grandfather pioneered to Coconut Grove in the early 1900s and owned two thirds of Key Biscayne. Can you imagine? I got us more coffee while Elsa divided up the rest of the sweet rolls. Well, you're talking about the Mathesons. I know his dad, Hugh. All of us girls used to go over to Key Biscayne for picnics. Your grandparents knew his grandparents. It was mostly coconut palms back then. Sounds like you're hobnobbing with some substantial people. It won't hurt to have them as friends. Then she said, On another note, I got a letter from your cousin Warren. He said how great it was having you stay with them in July. He hoped you were thinking seriously about pursuing a career in law. There's also a letter to you from him. She handed over the letter, was handwritten from Warren, and on Supreme Court stationery. Warren was my cousin and had been appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court by Richard Nixon, the president. The letter to me started out, Our Tricks Warren didn't know it, but in the Homo world, a trick is a one-night stand. Tricks for me was getting pretty good, mostly one-weekend stands, or two at most. So far with Lee, it was headed that direction. I had been up to Falls Church, Virginia in July visiting with Warren and his wife Vera. The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Warren Earl Berger, told me, You need to get a good education, and while you're at it, why not become a lawyer? He wasn't kidding. He liked me, and according to my mom, Elsa wanted to help me make something of myself. He even introduced me to President Richard Nixon, and Nixon told me the same thing. Nixon told me that in front of his daughter Trish, and my mind churned about, if I married her, then I could live in the White House. We'd have servants and they'd cook, clean, do our laundry. It's funny how quick you can conjure up something in your mind. As it turned out, I didn't marry her. And if I had, we would not have lived there much longer because of that scandal with the break-in. I never thought that was any big deal. He should not have resigned. When I was up visiting Warren, him and I were downstairs preparing for the meet at the White House. Their black live-in, Josephine, had fixed his pancakes, bacon, and fresh orange juice. The pancakes were not as good as my grandmother Flora's. The limo arrived and Warren said to his wife Vera, Where is my blue pinstripe suit? She said, I sent it to the cleaners. Remember you spilled milk on it yesterday. She was helping Josephine with the dishes. Warren said... I planned on wearing that today. He said it in the same way he delivered a verdict to the losing side of a lawsuit. Vera turned around and said, It's not going to happen. You've got 20 other suits. She wasn't impressed one bit that he was Chief Justice. She said, Since you're going to the White House, why not wear the dark brown one? That's the one you wore when you were sworn in by Dick. She smiled as though there was an inside story that no one knew about. I liked she referred to Nixon as Dick. She rushed up the stairs with him trying to keep up. The limo was awesome. Black inside and out. The driver, Robert, wore a black cap and a suit. The car was the longest Cadillac I'd ever seen. The only other Cadillac I had been in was our wealthy neighbors, Pinky and Bill's parents, and of course Doc's Cadillac. I always felt like I was better than anyone else while riding around in the caddy. I didn't have ownership. Robert then said, Mr. Joe, Miss Vera tells me you drove up from Florida and that you live in Miami. I said, yes. I grew up in the countryside of Miami. My father was a farmer. Robert then said, I've never been, but my friend and I have always talked about going. He winked at me and it made me think he was flirting. Warren would not like that. The Cadillac was humming right along with water dripping on the driveway from the air conditioner. My Rambler American didn't have air conditioning. The only extra it had was an AM radio. I had driven over a thousand miles in July with the windows down to visit Uncle Warren. He was my cousin, but told me to call him Uncle Warren. Thankfully, no one, even Dick, asked how he was my uncle. Uncle sounded way better. Then I said to Robert, Well, the thing about Miami is the sun is always out. My best friend and I fish, swim, ski, and surf as much as we can. Jimmy always looked dynamite in his bathing suit. I knew I should not have been looking, but it was one of those things where you have to look front and back. Jimmy was perfect. His brother Dennis called us queers once when I was sleeping over. So I continued to read the letter, and I told Elsa. Warren asked me how are tricks, but he doesn't realize that in the gay world, that is a one-night stand. I smiled at her quizzical look and also about the Chief Justice wanting to know about my tricks. She said, why do they call them tricks? Why not one-night stands? A trick's a practical joke or some way to cheat someone. I don't like that. Warren had sent her some pics and she pushed over a picture of him and I together when I was up there visiting. I guess evidence I was really there. I did make it in my Rambler American. Of course, I did miss a few turnoffs, but I did finally get there. Then I said to her, I really don't know where that comes from. Lee is the one that told me. He is always saying I tricked with that guy and that guy and that guy while he points them out to me. I know you wouldn't want to hear it, but he also says, I fuck that guy, and that guy, and that guy. It's the same thing. Trick or fuck. She said, I don't want to hear that word. I don't want you using it either. I hope you don't get your heart broken by these tricksters. I said, Don't worry about me. I'm not going to let any guy do what John did. Well, I might for sex, but I won't let them break my heart. She put her letter back in the envelope and placed it in the antique chest that belonged to her late mother-in-law, Bambi. She said, you can't control your heart. You are going to find out again and again and again. That Mike Wallace report said, homosexuals can't maintain a relationship like heterosexuals. And I said, well, like you say, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I will find someone. Something I'm curious about is about my dad. When he was 50 and when you married him, you were just 23. Do you think he might have been gay? Maybe that's where I got it from. She turned at me. Charlie was not gay. Far from it. When he crawled into bed at night, sober or drunk, he was ready for action. I then had a quick visual of the two of them. The bed squeaking. Sex toys. I wanted to erase that from my memory. I said, okay, I don't need to hear about your sex life. I just thought it odd he didn't have a girlfriend or anything until you came along. Then she said, you want to know why I married him? I nodded yes. I knew she was going to tell me anyway. She said, I was dating a guy named George for three years. He never asked me to marry him. We never had sex. He would kiss me goodnight after a date. That was it. I had worked in your father's business for about a year, and Charlie had asked me to marry him in the first month. I brushed it off. Too old. Set in his ways. His mother in laws a battle axe. About the end of the first year, he asked me for the third time, and I said, yes. Then I said, gosh, not very romantic. Maybe you were his beard. She looked at me like I had just done a backflip across the dining table. Is that another gay word? I said, yes. A beard is a cover so you won't appear gay to others. Elsa said, are you sure about all this gay stuff? Having a beard to hide yourself from judgment? Wouldn't it be easier to marry a girl and have kids? You could learn to love her. You'd be good with kids, I said. We've been through that. I've never been in love until I met John. I thought I loved Pat, but it wasn't. It was an illusion. I fooled you and everyone else. Sometimes I do wish I never met John and still believed girls were the way to go. I could do it, but it wouldn't be passionate. I've never felt so alive. I was looking at one of the newspapers and there was an advertisement for cock rings and dildos. I turned it so Elsa could see. She pushed it back to me. And then I said, when Grandma read my coffee grounds the week before she died, she said the grounds told her I would have a big family, a long life, and lots of money. Guess she must have been having a bad day. Then Elsa said, well, you knew her when she was a saint. The coffee ground readings were not always accurate. She told me some of the same things when I was a teen. Let me ask you this. What does a beard get out of being a beard? I could not believe how interested she was in the details of my gay life. Well, from what I understand, a beard gets paid back by the guy being a beard when they have an event to go to. Or they just want to help out a friend. So they have two girls that step in, and they call them lipstick lesbians. They're really attractive. Lee showed me pics of them at a wedding for some relative. The guys will pay them back by going to an event with them to be the girl's beard. Elsa said, seems like a lot of deception to me. I get why you would do it, but who wants to go through all of that? And I said, I do. If this is how I'm going to live my life, I have to deal with bigots. I prefer to live with a guy that I can't be without, and hopefully he thinks the same about me. Life wouldn't be worth living just to make other people happy, whether those bigots are relatives or friends. I'll figure it out. She said, I just can't believe all the new gay terminology. Doc never talked about any of this. Lipstick lesbian, butch and femme, beard, chubby chaser, queens. Elsa had a photo album out, turning the pages, looking at early photos of her and Charlie and some of the kids. She was making notes on the photos so years later people would know who was who in the picture and when it was taken. I was talking to Doc while you were out, and he and I cracked up over those words. Then I said, I've got some work to do. I've got to get the tractor out and mow the property. At one o'clock, I'm going up to meet with the guys at their swim practice. After that, we're going sailing on Lee's sailboat off Key Biscayne. Should be a blast. She said, remember to get back early enough for dinner. Freddie is coming up. Then you've got to get back to school. She shoved the newspapers and picture album into Bammy's antique desk. She didn't want Freddie to see the newspapers. He would have been okay with them, but there's no need to go there. Then I said, yeah, I have finals this week. I'll be coming home Friday, which happens to be my birthday. Then I'll be home for three weeks until the winter quarter cranks up. Then I'll be able to get a bunch of stuff done around here. One of the things is I had to put a new roof on the house. It had seven layers of tar paper from all the years since my father built it. I had made the decision I was going to strip it all off and start from scratch, even replace rotted wood from the roof leaks. Elsa told me that if I did that, I could fix Grandma's apartment up to rent and keep the money for school. I was motivated. Then she said, Okay, well, I'll plan something. Have Jim and Pat and the kids over. Maybe Freddy will come. Anybody else? You want to invite the queens? Said, no, that's plenty. I don't know them that well. And calling them queens is not very nice. They say that to other gay guys to be funny. Oh, I wouldn't want to offend them. If I was a guy, I wouldn't want someone calling me a queen. Said, no worries. I don't know much about all this stuff either. I'm going to write Warren back. He says he and Vera are coming down to Palm Beach. Maybe we can meet up with them. Then she said, oh, I've already spoken with Vera about it. We're going to meet up at Joe's Stone Crab in Miami Beach. So I was out and mowed about three acres, which was around the house and the driveway to the mailbox on Farm Life Road. The hardest part to mow was around the fish and alligator ponds. My father had built those out of coral rock. So I got up to the University of Miami and met up with the guys and watched them practice. Amazing how different they were around other swimmers, girls and guys. No playing around with each other or touching. They were aggressive with the other team members. I didn't think anyone would suspect they were homos. Nothing like they were at the warehouse. We then went back to the apartment, and Lee hooked up the sailboat to his car, and we headed to Key Biscayne. We sailed for a couple of hours. Lee told me how careful they were so no one would suspect they were gay. He said, it's what you have to do if you want to survive. Well, that's what I was doing. I told him about Warren. They couldn't believe I was related to him. I also told him about his driver, Robert, who I thought was a homo. Lee said, as conservative as Berger is, I'd be careful divulging your fondness for guys. Lee was fucking with me, being playful. Warren told me to not talk with his driver, Robert, because he was a fruit. We were driving to the White House to have coffee with the president when he said it. I told them of our meet with Dick and the drive there. I didn't say anything about Trish. And Warren and his wife are coming down in the winter. My mom and I are meeting with them at Joe's Stonecrap. Lee said, maybe your new best friends could be invited. I'd love to meet him. My dad would be blown away. I said, well, maybe. I'll see what him and his wife think about it. Warren and Vera would not be interested in a gay dinner. No matter how many beards would be attending, I would scare up a way to steer the guys against it. Things were moving fast. I should not have opened my mouth. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Navigating Muddy Waters. This is a true story of my college years. If you like my show, please tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Wondery, or wherever you are listening now. Everything in my show is based on actual events. I'm your host, Joe Calderwood. I'm also the writer, recorder, producer, and editor Music is by Freddie Elmberg. I also have another podcast by the name of Stained Fortune, and you can find that wherever you listen to your podcast.
1: me to the It means nothing Than what you see, and I can assure you.